pretty sure that I don't have to remind you that it's February 17th, uh, 2019. It's kind of hard to believe that we're in 2019. But as we enter into today, my question will be, who will you choose to guide you today? Who will you allow to be that influence in your life to say, yeah, I'm going I'm to go in that direction? Or I guess another question is, who are you depending on? You're living in a world of independence. I can do life. I don't need any help. Who's the, who's the individual you go to say, I, I just need you today to do something in, in my life? You know, asking you those questions leads me to this next thing is that where you're going in that direction is really what you're going to do with faith today. So what's the one you're putting your faith in today? What does that look like? And we've been around church and you've heard us talk about faith, but what's really interesting about faith is is where you place your faith will determine the choices that you make. And some of you have been around a building called a church for 20, 30, 40 50 years, and you hear this word over and over and over again, but is that actually what you will use to dictate the direction of your life? Do we have faith in the Scriptures? Are they true? Are we going to lean on those for direction? Will we allow those Scriptures to say, you know, this is the way I want you to go, and God's saying to you what you have in front of you, you call the Word of God, you call it a Bible, Really, it should be called your instruction book for life. And so even though probably all of you would say, yeah, I have faith, and probably you all have one or two or three or four Bibles, but how many of us are sitting in this room saying, you know what? The Bible's not just a Bible. By faith, I'm going to accept it as true. And now I'm going to allow the Bible to tell me what is true. Rather than culture or society i have vivid memories of being a high school student in indiana i grew up in a very small town my coach was very strict all of our coaches tried to be strict but our basketball coach was the strictest and so he had certain things if you played basketball for him these are the rules of the basketball team and so we you know we abided by those rules or we paid the consequences And basically all of the rules that he had for us were basically biblical living instruction enforced in a basketball team. Now if you go out into our society, society does not hold to the truth of Scripture. It's not going to reinforce what is said on a Sunday morning. So now what's happened is people are gathering and building to say, oh yeah, I'll have faith in this part and I'll have faith in this part. Well, you know what? There is no absolute truth. I just believe whatever I want to believe because you can't tell me that I'm wrong. No, I can't. But will you allow the Bible to instruct you? Will it be more than just, oh yeah, I have faith? Will it be something that you will use in your life to move from the transition? You know what? I can handle going from here to here. I can do that. And stop having a faith in you or your society or your neighborhood or your job and say, you know what, I'm going to lay that all aside. And I'm going to have faith in something that's really simple. Three nails in an empty tomb. 
and a cross. Because you sang, here I am to worship. Here I am to say that you are worthy. You're the one that rescued me from my sin. So is there something going on inside of you saying, wow, you rescued me from this. I want to go in this direction in my life because what you've done for me. Because of who you are. Instead of, wow, look at my job or look what I accomplished. Faith. This is how I define faith. As an individual standing before you this morning, I do it from this perspective. Fully abiding in the Holy Scriptures. I believe they're absolute truth. I believe as God has, has protected something that I call the Bible so that, as a, so that as a father, he can say to me, this is what I want you to know in this society that you live in, in Sebring, Florida, Highlands County. This is what I want to explain to you. You know what I'm concerned about? I don't sense there's a movement in Highlands County that really is excited about the Word of God and trusted by faith. I don't sense there's a passion in our community or in the church in America to say, you know what, Jesus, I just need to have time with you. Here I am to to worship, and I want to invest that time with you. I want to sit down and read your words to me. God, what do you want to say to me today? So I open up to another passage of Scripture. Wow, there's my Father speaking to me today. And so as I read it out loud, wow, I'm excited about you, Father. I don't sense that there's a passion for us to live lives of obedience that lead to victory. I sense there's lives that we just say, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And no, if you're going to do what I, you want to do, you're going to end up destruction. You can't do life and do it well. You don't have the answers. You didn't create today. You didn't give yourself life today. God did. And he won't dictate it. He won't control you. He won't force you to say, yeah, I want a relationship with you. But there's something inside of you saying, you know what? I'm just empty. Something just isn't right inside of me. And so as I think about faith, it leads me to the word love. And so last, or last week we talked about love. The week before that we talked about uh, faith. And so, really, love is an essential part of one of our needs. We need to be loved. But the question will be, oh, yeah, I know you have faith. You're here. You're in a building. But what I don't know is, where did you go this week to find love? I don't know that. Now, I know something, that Satan's a liar and the father of lies and the prince and the power of the air. And you all have those little devices that do amazing things that never existed 35 years ago. And I didn't realize that, but it's, you know, you saying that 80% of the world has a smartphone. I mean, who would have ever thought that? And now the Gideons have an app that can send scripture around the world using a smartphone. It's not bad. But did you go there this week to find love? Or did you open the Word of God and say, God, 
I just want you to know or see, or what does the Scripture say about love? And what's amazing to me is, if we pass the microphone around, yep, I believe, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith, but where did you go for somebody to speak life into your life this week outside of the Scriptures? When somebody didn't say, good job, when somebody didn't recognize you, when somebody didn't say that you were valuable, where did you go? And what's fascinating is, is we have these Bibles and we know certain information, but if you allow that information to say, well, let me sink this into our lives and who I am, there's never been a time that God did not love you. There's never been a time in the history of the world that God didn't want a relationship with you. But most of us live our lives from this perspective. I think Dan sent me this text message. God's love is based entirely on his character and not our performance. Is that true? It is. It is absolute truth. But most of us are working and walking, living lives, oh, well, if I perform, somebody will recognize me. Well, if I do this, I'll get a bonus. Or if I do this, I'll get an attaboy. Instead of saying, wow, I have this thing called faith. And my faith says through the scriptures that I am loved. Not only are you loved, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed you together in your mother's womb. He knit you together. He said, oh, I want you to look like this. Boom. I want you to have these gifts and abilities. Boom. This is a interesting story about fearfully and wonderfully made and being loved, but I remember being at the softball field with Rachel. And Rachel does not have eye-hand coordination. We didn't know that. But everybody's kids was playing softball. So he's like, yeah, you know, softball. I mean, we have sports. I mean, Rachel's got to know how to do this. I mean, just throw the ball and catch it. It was bad. Now you put her down on the piano, and God formed her to go this way with her hands. And it, nothing, you give her a guitar, it all works. But you put a ball and a glove and throw it. So she's standing out there and say, Dad, stop watching me. What am I supposed to do? You're my daughter. Well, Dad, I'm up the bat. I don't want you to look at me. Well, I know you're not going to swing the bat anyway because you don't know when to swing in the first place, and they don't throw strikes, so you're never going to swing. You're just going to walk from base to base, and that's how it was. You know what's sad is? People get upset that they can't catch a ball and that somebody else can play the piano and somebody else can play a guitar, but you're not. You know what? By faith, the Scriptures say you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't make anybody else like you. Receive that. Live differently because you have faith. Live differently because you know the Scriptures. Here's a really interesting little slide. The greatest gift you can give someone is time. Because when you dedicate your time, you're offering part of your life that you will never get back. How much time have you given Jesus this week? And I'm not talking about just sitting down and saying, oh, here's my Bible. When you're walking through the day, and something happens over here, and you say, wow, there he is. He did that for me. Or you you move here. Wow, thank you, Lord, for that. 
What's really important is I'm going to say the next word, which you probably all heard a lot about it in church, but unless you have faith and receive Christ's love, you can't have the third word. So unless there's a time in your life that you said, you know what, I recognize that the Bible says I'm a sinner, so I'm going to receive that biblical truth. Unless I say, you know what, God, you did love me, for by grace you saved me. I want a relationship with you. Oh, I'm a sinner. I need to admit that I'm a sinner. You mean you, you mean to tell me that I have to admit that I am wrong? That I don't have it all together? Yeah, you do. And if you need us to witness that you don't have it all together, we don't mind doing that because we want you to spend eternity in heaven. We, don't, we do not want you to go to hell. No person will enter heaven because of who they are. The only people who enter heaven is they said, you know what, God said this, I believe it by faith, I'm willing to admit that I'm a sinner and I'm going to receive Christ as my forgiveness of sin. And because we have Christ, we have hope today. Take your Bible and go with me to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Paul's writing this uh, letter uh, from prison. He's writing to a church at Colossae. There's some things he's going to say in general to this church. He's going to talk to this church about the deity of Christ. He's going to talk to them about reconciliation. He's going to talk to them about redemption. He's going to talk to them about election and forgiveness. But if you start in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 24, you read these words. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So Paul's suffering for their sake. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. So he's suffering because of stewardship that God is offering him that was given to me for you that the word of God may be fully known. The mystery hidden of ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So just stop in verse uh, 27. So Paul's going to rejoice in his suffering. And so it's interesting to me, before I put this first point up in there, it's interesting to me that we have bought into the lie living in the United States of America, in the church of the United States of America, that we have hope found in a lot of other places other than Jesus. And so we have a tendency, because we live in this Disney World Society, and we don't have a lot of persecution. God, if I'm happy, I have hope. That is not true for Paul. Paul's in prison, writing to a church, saying, you know what? I'm celebrating my suffering. You know why? Because the gospel's going forward. He's involved in a thing called stewardship. He's involved in saying, you know what? I want my life to be this, and I want the gospel to go forward with my life. I want to keep on going. Paul was willing not to walk away from the gospel, but he was willing to rejoice in his sufferings. At any point in Paul's ministry, Paul could say, you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm not having any fun. I'm not writing any books that I make money off of. I'm not getting any recognition around the world. I'm not, I don't have a blog. I don't have any followers. I don't have Instagram. Oh, poor me, but not Paul. Why? Because something happened in Paul's life that radically changed him not to worry about who he was. 
See, Paul was one of those individuals that was walking down the road saying, how can I destroy the Jews? How can I destroy the church? How can I make them suffer? Because they're talking about the gospel. They're talking about Jesus. Let's kill them all. And then something happened on that road where this guy by the name of Jesus shows up. And Paul goes from there, let's make sure that they die. So you know what? I'll suffer in prison so they can walk biblically true lives with truth. That's why you have Colossians. So that when life is suffering, you would know where you can find hope. So there will be something inside of you, maybe called, you know, I don't know, my dad would probably phrase it, just give us, you know, he would say to me, you know what, you're just being a wimp. You need to suck it up and do something about this. I mean, I have vivid memories of basketball games, gym of 3,000 people, my dad sitting over there. And I heard him say, get with it, Patterson, out of all those people. That's all I needed. My guy didn't score the rest of the game. I'll do whatever. Because dad said, go. Stop whining about they're too tall. Stop whining they can jump too high. Stop whining they can dribble too good. Just do your job. Play defense. Box out. We live in America. Don't encourage me to do the hard things. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Well, don't you know that I'm supposed to be happy and church is supposed to be about me and I get my seat and my comfort zone? Yeah, that's the church that's leading people to hell because they don't have enough guts to say, Jesus loves you, get over you, fall on your face before him and worship and rejoice in your suffering. Now, I'm not walking around high-fiving if you've got cancer. I'm not walking around saying, wow, this is really awesome. Look how bad life is for me. No, but I had two guys that demonstrated to me that, yeah, this is what the doctor said. Two men that were diagnosed with this disease. But they celebrated the disease so they could talk to the doctors about Jesus. It wasn't poor me. I watched these two guys say, I'm here I am, Jesus. And in my suffering, I want to steward the gospel well. And I'm afraid there's not that many of those guys left in churches in America. I'm afraid that people that go to church in America are saying, well, yeah, you're my cornerstone but I still need this and this and this and this and this and this. And then you can be my cornerstone. Well, yeah, here I am to worship, but, you know, don't make me do anything, you know, really difficult. But, I, I mean, I really, you're worthy. I'll accept forgiveness of my sin. Is that you? Are we the individuals as you read on? Are we those group of people just saying, and I'm not afraid to ask the why question. I don't think it's wrong to ask the why question. When you're suffering, when life doesn't make sense, when it hurts, ask those questions and then come back to your father and say, Father, I want to steward the gospel well, and you've done this in my life, so help me. When I want to whine, When I want to say, poor me, 
Change it to God, I need you to live through me. So that one more person hears the gospel. So that when I'm at the doctor's office and it hurts. Because you know what happens is verse 27. To them God chose to make known the great mystery of the Gentiles, of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because we have Christ today, we have hope. You don't have Christ today, you don't have hope. You can't put one without the other. And so this morning as we sit together as a family, this is why it's really important. Faith is the Scripture's true. Am I really a sinner? Do I need to ask for forgiveness? That's what the Scripture says. But then Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Scripture says that too. So will I receive the Scriptures and say, okay, this is what is said. You demonstrated your love for me, and if I receive that love and ask for forgiveness of sin, you have hope today. You have Christ, you have hope. It's not circumstantial hope. It's not, well, life is really good right now, so I'm I'm happy. No, it doesn't matter what happens to you and I. Because we have Christ, we have hope. Let me show you one other verse. Maybe it puts it a little bit uh, another way. Go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And look at verse 3, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Have you gotten over God's mercy for you? Because God did not give you what you deserved, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Where did my living hope come from? It came from Disney World. It came from my budget. It came from my salary. It came from the car I drive. It came from the neighborhood I live in. And you know what? You would say to me, preacher, those are dumb illustrations. But you know what's sad is? The majority of people sitting in buildings called church, that's where they find hope. Well, I've got a career. You can have all that. Because what I know is true. This earth is passing away. And there's nothing that's going to be here. And there's no one in this building that can provide what Christ has provided for me. You know what? My hope comes through the resurrected Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And so as you look at this, I mean, look at it. Because I have Christ... Resurrection from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice. I don't know about you, but to me that's a lot of hallelujah. That's a lot of, well, thank you, Father, for who you are. You're guarding me. You give me an inheritance. No one could take that away. 
You know what's interesting? Peter did not leave these believers there. He kept on going. You know what he said? In this, you rejoice, though for a little while, circle the next word, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You have any idea why your father would give you various trials? I do. I know exactly why. Because Peter said it, and God inspired it, so that the testing, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire. He wants to know that you're the real deal. He wants to make sure that you got to the place in your life that you can't, but He can. And why is that so important? Because you are the light of the world. There isn't another plan. He left you here for a reason and a purpose. And the purpose was to know that you had hope so you could walk into a world, meet people on the golf course, at the hair place, at Goodwill, whatever you like. So you can say, hey, I have hope. And if we could bottle hope up in a medication, we would be billionaires. Here, just take this, you'll have hope. Really? I'll pay whatever amount of money. We have something better than medication. I know it's weird to think about. But if you have Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, you have hope, and the world is dying for hope. And you're sitting here with the remedy. So what will you do? Will you take what you have found in Christ to a world that is broken. Now, I don't know about you, but this is, this is what bothers me, okay? It bothers me that there are five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds living in our communities that do not have hope. That bothers me. And know that they're probably in families that mom and dad don't have hope. So now what happens? Wounded people wound little people. And I got the answer. Hey, Dad, let me develop a relationship with you because I want to lead you in a direction where there's hope and healing and restoration. Because if you get Jesus, their lives will never be the same. I have another thing that bothers me. And because I am getting gray, it bothers me that I bump into more and more gray-haired people that are very impatient, arrogant people. It bothers me. That when they're sitting at restaurants, they're like, would you hurry up, please? I mean, don't you know that I'm really... I mean, they're not saying this out loud, but they're saying it because they're acting like a five-year-old. Don't you know that I'm really, really important and you need to get my lunch here now because I'm hungry. 
bothers me. It bothers me that gray-haired people do not talk to me about Jesus, but they talk to me about a lot of other things. It bothers me that gray-haired people aren't coming along this younger generation and say, listen, I've got this relationship with Christ, and he's affected my life. Keep on going. Keep running to the cross. It bothers me. And I realize there's not anything that me as an individual that's going to do about this. But to say to my father, Father, we need some help. We're living in a broken community, and I, I don't think the church is as bad as the community, but it's getting pretty, pretty close. The people sit in buildings and don't walk out of here with hope. They don't walk out of here with a personal relationship with Christ. That there isn't more older generation guys that when the doctor comes to them, says, hey, but they don't say, well, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sin, and I love my family but I want to make Jesus known to the last breath. I want more people to come to me and say, um, I have a name, and I'm leaving you this name for you to work on because they don't know Jesus yet, and I want them to know Jesus. And my time on this earth is about over. So here's a name. Where are those men? Where are those women? Oh, I know you got faith. Oh, I know you love Jesus. Don't fool yourself. I don't want to just love Jesus. I want to be in love with Jesus. I don't want to be loved by Jesus. I want to love Jesus back. Here I am to worship. And my worship is saying this, Christ, it's enough. You are enough for me. You're all I need. Christ, you are the cornerstone. I don't need anything else but you. Christ, the world is broken. And you've left me here as a missionary, as an ambassador. So with your strength, I'm walking in the community. And we can talk about a lot of different things, but somewhere in our conversation, I want to get to Jesus. Because I know that Jesus is the only one that can heal somebody from the inside out. I want more people sitting in these buildings saying, here I am to worship. Here I am to say that you're worthy because of what you're doing in my life, because of who you are. I can't live life without you, Jesus. I want the world to know there's only power in one name. And that name is Jesus Christ. And there's hope in one name, Jesus. And there's healing in one name, Jesus. And there's soul restoration in one name, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, here we are as a family. And you know what's going on in our communities. And you know what's going on in church in America. You're not, you're not like saying, oh man, this what a mistake this has happened. I didn't see this coming And you have the power to raise up a generation that loves you, Jesus, that finds their hope in you.
that looks at the world differently because we have Christ inside of us. So do it, Father. More people to be excited about the gospel. More people to love you back. More people to know what it means that when they're in their suffering that you're saying to them, oh, I just wanted to show you your relationship with needs a little encouragement or you need to come back to me or, oh, I'm just using this so that the doctor heard about you, Jesus. So, Father, thank you for leaving men in my life that demonstrated that well. And I know they're with you today. So until I see them again, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to finish well the way they finished? Would you empower this church, this family, not just to sing, here I am to worship, but to truly worship to give our lives as a living sacrifice to the gospel, to a world that is broken. Send us out in force, not about what we are or what we can do, but about Christ and Christ alone. Send us out with hope because you're our Father. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.